Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's a feminist podcast. Hello and welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything. We are the feminist podcast giving critiques to movies, musicals and pop culture phenomena and potentially ruining them. Potentially. Uh, we would like to acknowledge that we are recording today's episode on stolen Ghana land. We would like to pay our respects to all elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Uh, hello again. How are you? You look well. Um... I like what you've done with your hair. Mim's still not here. That's why uh, this intro is rambling and, and not great, because she's uh, still in Perth. Again, check out the description below if you want to go see Friendly Feminism uh, out there in the wild of the Perth fringe. Uh, this is going great, isn't it? I was going to say, Mim's voice sound, sounds a little bit different today. It sounds a little bit different, because yeah. uh, I, am, <laughs> I am joined by a dear friend of the podcast, Juanita Navas Nguyen. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, th- thank you for coming on and, and being my co-host today. Uh, I'm really excited uh, because you, you pitched this movie to me and I'm like, that sounds really cool. And then we watched it and it was really cool, uh, which is uh, The Half of It, which is a Netflix original film. Uh, it's a little indie thing. And we thought that this would be a really good uh, opportunity to kind of tell people about it and encourage them to go watch it. Yeah, I think it's definitely a very underrated film. Yeah. Um, it's it's great. It's a fun film. I watched it when it first came out. I was very excited to see it. It's a film that's really um, important to me as a biracial person of colour. Mm-hmm. This is a film that centres around a um, Ellie who lives in Squahamish. Of course. Oof, I've never heard it. It sounds a bit like a squash, doesn't it? It does. Um, Squahamish. I don't even know where in America that is. It's somewhere in America. <laughs> the middle of nowhere. The middle of nowhere. Um, so Ellie is an um, immigrant, daughter of an immigrant, immigrant herself. She mm-hmm. moved to America when she was four years old. And she's living in this town. She's getting by her high school life by making money, by writing people's essays for them. Mm-hmm. And through this, Paul comes along and asks her to start helping him write letters to the love of his life, Asta. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, Ellie starts having feelings for Asta herself. Yeah. Yeah. It's a a real, like, you know, so so, like Ellie is kind of like pretending to be Paul, but like really communicating and like developing a bond with Aster and you get to see like the relationship grow between them but also the relationship between Ellie and Paul kind their friendship kind of developing um it's a really lovely film it's so wholesome it's yes that that is the word that you use to describe it and I'm just like this is just a wholesome film it's so wholesome it just makes your heart feel like so fluffy (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) it does and so we 
we don't usually do this on the podcast, but we're going to say, like, if you haven't seen the film, pause this podcast right now and go don't watch the listen. film. Don't listen. Don't don't listen. <laughs> don't be like Juanita all the time because Juanita actually has never listened to the podcast. Okay, I have to say this. <laughs> I have to put this out here to all of you listeners because I know that you're going to be like, what the hell? She doesn't listen to this podcast. This started... <laughs> Way back when, at Mm -hmm. very, very early days, when the podcast was first establishing itself, and as a very close friend of Ellis's, Mm -hmm. I had to confess that I hadn't listened to it yet, and it was there, and I had every intention, and then it became a thing. Just became a running gag. It's become a thing, and now... It's gotten to the point where I am deliberately not listening to it because <laughs> I have to keep this going. You've got to you've got to commit to the bit, and I respect that. I'm not going to lie. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I I've, I've got to respect that. I mean, to the point where like you've even gotten off on a technicality because you were at one of our live shows. Yes, but that doesn't count. That doesn't count because you didn't listen to the podcast. You attended a live theater event. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's fair. And so, I'm all for live theatre. <laughs> and what better way to commemorate you being on the podcast than by telling our listeners not to listen? Anyway. Yeah, like join the non-listening train. <laughs> Support from the sidelines like I do. <laughs> but no, seriously, go watch this film. Go watch. It's a really lovely film. It's on Netflix. We don't think enough people know about it. So we want people to go out and enjoy this film like we have and then come back and listen to us discuss it. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's it. That's all we need to do. And if you've been listening to us, you will have already paused it, listened to the thing, and now you're back. So, how great Welcome was that film? Welcome back! <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's talk about this film. Yes. Let's, let's talk about let's... the half of it. Um, I kind of want to start out with the idea that, even though we, we adored this film, I can't help but notice that the plot is a little bit iffy, in the terms of that when you break it down, it's it's about two people manipulating an, a woman in order to have romantic intentions with it. They're essentially lying to her to enter into some sort of relationship. And that is fundamentally iffy and a bit yuck. Yeah, just <laughs> a little bit. It is a little bit. I will say on that note, that is sort of the underlying thing of the plot. Mm. Um, we do also need to note that these are high schoolers. Yeah. And there is absolutely no, like in no way, shape or form, any sort of malicious intent in their actions. I think it's one of those things that fundamentally isn't right, but the motive, I say but, and I shouldn't say but, because it's not <laughs> excusing it. Mm. Um, but their actions are are not in any way, shape, or form intending to manipulate her. I think yeah. Paul approaches Ellie because he genuinely thinks he has feelings for Asta, and he's all actually already written a letter. And so the initial first letter is Ellie sort of editing it and rewording things yeah. to sort of, okay, well, this isn't exactly right. You've literally just said, I really like you because you're pretty, <laughs> you know? Um, she's like, you can probably be a bit more poetic than that. Yeah. Um, and so I think from the get-go, it's 
not intended none of this is intended to manipulate or mm -hmm. to be a lie i think it's definitely one of those things that has snowballed out of their naivety and i think a really important thing to note is that all of the characters or at least the central characters are these young people who are trying to navigate through the world and they have no idea what they're doing yeah i mean like ellie's kind of isolated from her peers in a lot of ways she's like not one of the cool kids or or whatever so she doesn't really have any buddy to to like act as a confidant or anything like that and then you have aster who is kind of alienated from her supposed popular girl role but she she doesn't connect with any of her supposed friends at all and it's only when she kind of starts talking with with Ellie that she is able to find somebody to confide in and then we have Paul who is like he's on the football team but, but he's like a bit of a slow learner and no one has really given him a chance to to move beyond that and he's like I have all these feelings and I have no idea how to express them and I just want someone to help me mm. and they all kind of like come together in a in a world that doesn't really have a place for them yeah and I, I think a big part of the reason their world doesn't have a place for them is that they live in squahamish squahamish middle of nowhere america i can't even tell you what state that's in no like they're <laughs> in this little town that has such a small town mentality mm -hmm. of us versus them the entire community is that tight-knit, everyone goes to church, there is such an emphasis on that church community, and what does God think, and the paths that we should all lead because of mm -hmm. this is what God thinks. Very traditional paths to be led on. Like yeah. You, you get married, and you have kids, and you settle down. And... Yeah, and you kind of like, you continue on your family name, mm -hmm. and it's all about that status that comes with fulfilling your role. Um, and in some ways, it's really interesting that all of the characters surrounding our main three, barring Ellie's dad, are in some ways very uh, characterized or like mm. caricatures almost. They're stereotypes. They're, They're so stereotyped. But it's almost like every single stereotype for that trope almost <laughs> So yeah. <laughs> you're kind of watching it and you're getting so frustrated at them because they are so superficial and so two-dimensional mm. that in some ways it makes the supernaturalistic acting of our leads stand out more and really emphasize how much they are alienated from their world. Yeah. You have these really quite three-dimensional characters that are pushed to the forefront when everyone else is two-dimensional. Mm. And I think I, it, it works really well because you really connect with, with our leads and you empathize with them and you just want them to get out of that shithole squamish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's also this thing of like, yes, they're caricatures and they're stereotypes, but the subtleties that come with those stereotypes, the mm. way things like the casual racism and the casual yeah. misogyny is completely dropped in there. But it's not overt racism and it's not overt misogyny it's mm -hmm. just there it, it's like it's a part of the background it just exists in in the world yeah and like, it's like you can't ignore it because it's there yeah but it's not like it's 
overrun by it either. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the first real introduction to Ellie is, or at least Ellie and interacting with anyone else, Mm. are the school bullies calling her chugga chugga choo choo because her last name is Ellie Choo. Mm. You know? And she's cycling along to school and they're, they're driving past shouting things at her and it's just like, it's not... The film, like the film, points it out like it is mm. an occurrence, but it doesn't linger on it. It's just kind of like an accepted part of living in this small town. Yeah, even to like further in the film, as she develops a relationship with Paul, and she goes to his house, and his mum meets her, and it's oh, it's Paulie's Chinese friend. Mm. Like it's that sort of identifier that isn't necessarily needed in any way, shape, yeah. or form. Like, I don't think I've ever kind of gone to my friend's house and they're like, oh, it's Juanita. It's it's their Vietnamese-Colombian friend. <laughs> <laughs> like, that would be kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and that's... It just gives the impression that if Ellie were white, it would just be, oh, it's Polly's friend. Exactly. And the fact that they feel the need to point it out kind of every time. Mm. It's like... No, no instance of racism is like egregious, but it's constant and just kind of reminds you of the world that they live in. Yeah. And I think it's the same way in terms of the way the characters behave and what they expect of each other, the way they interact mm-hmm. with each other. Um, one of our opening scenes where we're introducing Paul is you can hear the coach in the background. You don't actually see them playing football, but they're clearly in at training. football practice back behind the camera, off camera, Mm -hmm. somewhere. And you can hear the coach and he's yelling at them and he's like, what are we, men or losers? Come on, ladies, pick up the pace. Yeah. You know, and it's not even on camera and it's so subtle, like it's kind of background noise, (laughs) but it's there. It's there. And the the film, like, you know, takes the time to, to just be like, just be aware, this is what the world is for these characters and this is what they're living in. Yeah, totally. Am I wrong in thinking that Ellie and her father are the only Asian people in the time? I think they are. Yeah. I genuinely think that they are the only Asians in the town. I don't recall seeing any other characters of colour, actually. Yeah. The entire town, from my memory, is white other than these two. Mm-hmm. Which just kind of like highlights these moments of of casual racism mm. even further when it's like it, it is only directed at these inhabitants of the town yes. and not yeah. other people. And I think, you know, it's also that it's really nice when Ellie is talking to Paul about why they moved and they're connecting. Mm. And you're sort of also reminded that, you know, these people living in the town that are subject, subject to this are completely aware of it as well. Yeah, And that also, there is this sense that Ellie and her dad have come to this small town where everyone who lives in it, that is their world and that's all they know. Whereas they've seen bigger things and they've come mm. from China. They've, you know, her dad has a, um, a degree in engineering. He has a PhD. He has a PhD. He's educated. They come to America for a better life and... Simply because his English is English is not his first language. Yeah, and that is simply the reason why they're literally stuck in this little town, and they're there doing the signals for the trains as they go past, and he'll never actually get a job as an engineer. Mm-hmm. There, there was a line um, 
when Ellie is kind of talking about her her father's job and she's like turns out speaking English trumps having a PhD at least one from China anyway and it's like this is like the highest qualification that somebody could have but because they're and like he does speak English yeah not fluently but like learning another language is hard I mean like I've known you a long time I still have troubles pronouncing your last name because it's in a different dialect and in fact before recording this we spent a long time Trying Maybe to get a whole half an hour. Yeah, a long time, and I'm not gonna lie, feel very ashamed about it. But like, yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's a learning another language is is difficult. But this is a very intelligent, capable man who is held back for like the dumbest of reasons. And you can see the way he lives his life as well. How much that has impacted him mm-hmm. as a person. I mean, I English is my first language, and although I do speak a little bit of Cantonese and whatnot growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always found speaking in front of native speakers, I always get so apprehensive, even though I know I can do it, Mm. that I worry that I'm, because I'm not 100% fluent. So personally, I get very anxious about having to speak in front of a native speaker and hold a conversation because I don't want to come across as completely inadequate. Mm -hmm. And so there is this man who is so highly educated, who obviously has gone there for a better life and it's just gone the complete other way and is sort of defeated. His wife has passed away. So it's now just him and his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways you can sort of see that there is that hesitation to kind of try and communicate more or kind of put himself out there because mm. there is this oppressive world that doesn't want to welcome him into it. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I think the film takes its time to showcase the relationship between Ellie and her father. Mm. Uh, and I think it's, it's really... Uh, it, it's, it's a very distinct relationship from my perspective because it doesn't really look like many father-daughter relationships that you see in mainstream Western cinema because they express their love for each other differently Mm. to what we usually see Mm -hmm. and i think um uh like on that note of what we see in western cinema and stuff and talking about how defeated ellie's dad is i think um a very common way of showing that relationship is 
oh, dad is defeated and hasn't had success in life and so they have a depression and so all they do is sit in front of the TV and watch movies and daughter gets frustrated with that and wants to see the world more and there is friction between the two of them, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas in the half of it, it's the complete opposite. Yes, it is a very quiet relationship. They don't have, Mm. they don't show any physical affection there is no moment of like words of comfort or like I love yous or any of that. That's not exchanged, but it's the little actions that happen between the two of them that really express how much they care about each other. The fact that their ritual every night is to sit quietly in front of the TV and watch classic films. Mm -hmm. And as a way of remembering Ellie's um, mother, you know, her dad will always at sort of the crux of the film just kind of go shh it's the best part yeah and you know the little things like making dumplings Mm -hmm. for her and cooking and that sort of just standing next to each other quietly making food together and their interactions the fact that when she leaves to go to college he doesn't actually say goodbye to her properly Mm. he stands at the window kind of does a quick wave out the window as if she's just going to school that day Mm. but you can see her struggling to call to carry this esky full of dumplings like (laughs) you know the number of times my asian mother has given me so much food that i could probably feed an army (laughs) just because i said i liked it one time Mm -hmm. you know um Food especially is such an expression Mm. of how much you care about someone. It's all about what you can do for them rather than what you can say to them. Yeah. And when, like, the crux of a lot of movies, like, predominantly with, like, romantic relationships, the crux of a lot of uh, Western movies is, you know, you get up in front of a crowd and you profess your love or you do some skywriting or or something. And it's it's always, like, this big, huge gesture you must prove your love to everyone and it's really refreshing to see kind of the opposite of that Mm. which is in some ways more meaningful because the act of like feeding somebody kind of does you know it achieves something whereas the sky writing is going to be gone in seconds (laughs) yeah and it's really i think it's really wonderful to see these different kinds of relationships And I think it's important that people are exposed to these different kinds of expressions of love so that people are aware they exist. Yeah, for sure. And I think as well, like, Ellie in herself as a character is a different lead character. Mm. She's not, you know, there are so many films where you've got the sort of slightly nerdy girl and then she befriends the jock or she has a crush on the jock and then she has mm-hmm. a makeover. You know, she has a makeover and they take her glasses off and she starts wearing contact lenses and puts a little bit of lip balm on and <laughs> puts on a skirt and all of a sudden she's hot. Um, you don't get any of that bullshit. Mm. You just don't. She just is herself. She is just, you know, she's not this overly feminine girl. She is more comfortable in her jeans and a flanny mm-hmm. and kind of just doing her own thing. She's not interested in all the sort of really, I guess, gendered expectations of what a girl is. Yeah. 
and at no point does anyone expect her to fulfill that and in some ways she kind of says it herself she's like you know the good thing about being different is that no one expects you to be like them Mm -hmm. which is kind of contrasted with uh, Aster who is like in the middle of the whole popular clique and she has so many expectations Mm. thrust upon her that she is completely uncomfortable with the entire time exactly like that's kind of Aster's whole thing yeah is her entire existence is one expectation over another you know she is the pretty girl to Mm. quote her you know yeah she says um at one point she's like when you're a pretty girl and i know that makes me sound conceited but that's why you're writing me uh people want to give you things and people expect something from you in return Mm. and i guess in that process it's that thing of all of her apparent friends are almost cut copies of each other and she has this sort of such a uh, traditional trajectory for Mm -hmm. her life she's going through high school she's one of the popular girls she's dating the most popular guy in school yeah there is that expectation that they're gonna get married and that they're gonna have kids and they're gonna settle down in fact like her her boyfriend trig and her father she at some point she shares that they've been talking about the wedding and nobody's even asked her about it yet it's also like expected that that is what she'll do that she isn't even a consideration they haven't even got engaged yet yeah nowhere near yeah and and it's that thing of you can see the way that she is struggling against that Mm -hmm. but she also doesn't know anything else and so she has no faith in herself to find anything else she escapes to her art and her films and Mm -hmm to literature but she's also caught in this mindset of well this is the life that has been planned out for me so what else is like she knows Mm -hmm. that there is something else but she's too scared to take that step away from it because it is into the unknown Mm -hmm. and when you're 16 17 years old that is terrifying real scary I mean, let's be fair, it's scary when you're 28. Yeah, I was just so, about yeah. to say, I still don't even... <laughs> still so scary. <laughs> I can adults. <laughs> um, uh, the existential fear isn't all-consuming at all. It's fine. No. No. Um, um, but it, it is only when Aster connects with Ellie. Like, she thinks she's connecting with Paul, but is connecting with Ellie, who is, again, like a, a bit of, like, you know feels like an outsider and they're able to connect over the the films and the poetry and there's a beautiful montage where they keep challenging each other to add to this graffiti painting which is really gorgeous yeah the more i think about it um (laughs) that she kind of realizes that maybe there is something else which i think we should discuss the ending because we had potentially conflicting conflicting opinions so um we both we both think it's fantastic that at the end no none of the main characters are are in a relationship with anyone else because the truth comes out and aster finds out that that paul and ellie have been like lying to her um and she is rightly pissed off she like slaps paul 
and storms off and kind of doesn't talk to them for a while. And it's only after time has passed and they've all kind of figured out that they're going to be moving on somewhere else. Like Ellie applies to college and Aster's trying to go to art school that they have a conversation and they end up kissing Okay. And then they, they depart. Sorry to cut you no, off please. there. You say they end up kissing. I would like to note that Ellie is about to leave. She walks a good few meters away, turns around, runs, and then, unex- well, maybe not unexpectedly from an audience perspective, <laughs> but she does kind of just like make a split second decision to kiss Asta. Yes. Asta never actually really invited it. It wasn't like an... Uh, we're going to have a moment and then kiss. True, this it was very was, spur of the moment. It yes. was spur of the moment and it's on Ellie's part that that kiss happened. Yes. But I, I, think, I, think, I think our conflict is like whether or not we feel that the feelings that Ellie had for Aster are reciprocated. And there's a lot of talk in the conversation leading up to that about needing to explore the world and learn new things about yourself. And I think I think the conflict comes where we're not sure whether Aster is referring to her sexuality or not. Mm. And I think I think she kind of is. And I don't think she is. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. So her comment is that maybe if she grew up different, mm-hmm. that things would have gone differently, or could have been different. Yeah. Which I understand. I feel that her statement is almost saying if she was different in that she had the confidence to fight against all of her expectations, Mm -hmm. that perhaps she could have had a closer relationship with Ellie from the beginning, but I don't think that necessarily would have been romantic. I, I think as someone who has grown up in such a conservative, small-minded, small town like Squahamish, it's almost as if she's never conceived of anything other than the path laid out for her, which includes potentially being in a same-sex relationship. And I would argue that like earlier scenes where Esther and Ellie are interacting as each other, not as like Ellie pretending to be Paul or anything, mm. they they go out to Aster's special place, place, which is like a a hot springs kind of area, and they have a moment. And I'm like, that felt like a charged moment where there was this tension the whole way that at any point could have developed into something uh, romantic, but never did. And I wonder if that is just Aster kind of like reflecting on the fact of like, I am very confronted by a lot of things right now and I'm very confused and maybe if things have been different, this would have turned out different, but I need to explore myself and that includes that aspect of things. Mm. Because I also think that she... I don't think she complains about being kissed. Like, she... I felt like she was on board. No, I don't think she complained. (laughs) She was into it. I think she was into it. (laughs) See, I think... I took her reaction almost of an, as an acceptance. Okay. Because the conversation leading up to it, she still had a lot of hostility towards Ellie in that conversation. Understandably so. 
Understandably so, yes. Um, and it's not sort of as the conversation progresses that that hostility starts to kind of melt away and she starts to kind of see Ellie as a friend again. Mm-hmm. And so her reaction to Ellie kissing her, for me, feels like a kind of acceptance of what's happened and putting that behind and we're moving forward. And I think she is in this position where, like you said, she's in this small-minded community and she doesn't know anything else. And she's in a position where she wants to know the world more and she wants to know herself more. Yeah. Whether or not that includes her sexuality, I think that's give or take, but I think it's more than just her sexuality. I would agree with that. I, I I think the fact that the film ends with Ellie leaving Squahamish and it isn't about who she ended up with or anything like that, I think that is very telling about what the film is trying to say. Mm. And I think the fact that all of our main characters have kind of looked elsewhere, you know, to, to, to move beyond the, the town mm. is very telling of what the movie is saying about that kind of mentality yeah and i think the other thing that you can really appreciate with that ending is that you know there is such a big question mark over Asta's relationship with not only ellie but paul as well yeah you don't see a final like you don't there is actually no final interaction between Asta and paul Mm -hmm. after the slap um but you do see this sort of friendship that has blossomed that you could say that Ellie and Paul, despite going and taking different paths and Ellie leaving, that their relationship is one that they both hold very dear to each other. Yeah. And they are going to stay in contact and they are going to continue being close friends. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really refreshing that the final kind of ending relationship is a friendship rather than a romantic one. Yeah. And, and given just as much as, if not more, importance and significance. Because again, like f- in a lot of media, friendship is kind of this afterthought. And it's always like, you must find the romantic end. And it's nice to see the, the kind of platonic yeah. importance um, yeah. demonstrated. Yeah. On that note, let's talk about Paul. I love Paul. He's... He's so wholesome. You kind of just want to, like, scoop him up in a little bowl and just be <laughs> like, you little... He's not very little, but, like... He's, he's big. <laughs> he's a big guy. But he, to, to me, watching it, I was just, like, blown away by what a great example of positive masculinity he was. Mm. Like, he, he... There's this guy who... You know, he knows that he isn't the brightest bulb, but he cares a lot. And I think it's very genuine the way he cares about things. And he's just kind of like trying his best. And then as you get to know him, you see he isn't just like a a dumb jock who all he cares about is like football or anything. But he is a really talented chef. He helps his family out with their sausage making business and he's inventing recipes and... The taco sausage. The taco sausage, (laughs) which... Everybody really likes. 
And and then you have this wonderful moment where Ellie's trying to like find an outfit for a talent show, and she dresses up. She just like picks out like a skirt and a blouse or something that they, isn't her. It's not even a blouse. It's like a bomber jacket and then <laughs> this like black and white very small polka dot skirt that do not match in any way shape or form and she doesn't even try them on in the dressing room she literally puts the skirt on over her jeans and the jacket like haphazardly (laughs) over her shirt and she's like yep that'll do i guess i'll just wear this (laughs) and paul looks at her and you know in any other film it would be like you know nothing about fashion and then he gives her a makeover and she puts Puts her in a mini skirt and something yeah. more revealing. And he kind of, it's so sweet because he kind of looks at her and he's like, you look weird all girled up like that. Mm-hmm. It's not actually about how not appealing the clothes are. It's the fact that he knows that's not who she is. Yeah. And, and then he's like, I will find you something and find something that reflects her personality and who she is and he's like yeah i have a bunch of sisters and i've learned from them and and the fact that he's like it's so wholesome (laughs) i I adore it it's so cute so cute and and even when he is like trying to express his feelings for aster you can see that everything he feels is very genuine and and it's it's just the case of like he doesn't know how to express himself Mm. properly And I think that's the other thing that I I found really endearing about him, actually, Mm. is that he has such a childlike energy about him. Yeah. And the first time I watched this film, I remember his character was introduced and I kind of went, oh, okay, here we go. It's going to be like the popular jock. He's going to be a little bit arrogant and Mm -hmm. kind of like he just plays football and that's his thing. And it was the complete opposite. He is so down to earth and so sensitive. Mm. Um, But he's also this guy who, you know, a lot of the time when you look at the dumb jock trope, they're dumb because they're a meathead and they only care about sports. Yeah. Whereas this is a person who genuinely is just a little bit slower at learning has probably grown up with um, like learning issues and because of, you know, big family, small town, probably hasn't had any teachers kind of go, okay, these are the steps we need to put into place so that this kid can kind of catch up to everyone else mm-hmm. because he needs to learn in a different way or just like take a bit more time with it. So he's just grown up his whole life being a bit slow. And nobody really caring. And no one really caring help. about that or help him in that way. And just because of that, that's why he he doesn't have the vocabulary and the thought processes and the articulation to be able to express the things he's trying to express. He feels them. Mm. He 100% feels them. He just doesn't know how to put them into words. And, and even that, he, he also shows like he, he wants to learn. Like when Aster kind of gives him a book that he would have otherwise have no interest in reading he goes and he's like i I tried to read it i really did and he sits down and he's like i fell asleep a few times but i started and that counts for something he's like yes it does paul (laughs) it's okay and it's that whole thing of his philosophy about love is about the effort you put in yeah and that's the thing he teaches ellie i think as well because she ends up quoting him at the end yeah it's that 
it's the effort that you go to and the lengths you go to to kind of do what you can for the person that you care about, which kind of brings us back to that whole thing we were saying about Ellie and her dad and the way they express their love for each other. Mm -hmm. You've got Ellie secretly writing letters to all of these food companies and sending Paul's recipe out and helping him secretly that way. Mm. Um, It's those kind of like little moments where you do things for the other person because you care about them. And even that, like the after the the talent show, they go to a party, and it's the first party that Ellie's been to, and she gets quite drunk quite quickly. And Paul is the one who's like, "Okay, I think you've had enough. I'm gonna take you home. Gonna leave you aspirin on the bedside table, mm. just to like look after you and make sure that you are safe and okay. And at no point is it anything more than just a person caring about mm. their friend. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, I think. As much as I love Paul, bless him. Yeah. <laughs> there are a few moments where you're like, oh no. Uh, <laughs> um. <laughs> when the the small town mentality kind of shows. Yeah. That it, it's it's rubbed off on him. And like to be fair, he doesn't know any better. And I I also think a big difference is that he immediately tries to rectify. That is true. I think the first moment is... Well, is it a moment when it's sort of discussed throughout? It comes up a couple of times. Yeah. Um, So Paul is talking to Ellie about his date with Asta because a couple of times he's met up with Asta and Ellie's in the car watching through the window and texting, (laughs) you know, what are you doing? Don't talk about Nazis. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just good dating advice, really. Yeah, don't talk about Nazis. Yeah. Um, And he says to Ellie, oh, I kissed her. And Ellie, I think, is quite taken aback Mm -hmm. by that confession. And she asks, well, how do you know that she wanted to be kissed? And his response is to say that there is a look. That, you know, there's a look. Can you explain what the look is? I mean, no. <laughs> like, no, I can't, I can't do it. I, yeah. mean, he, he, I mean, he can't he explain what it is. Um, and just kind of, like, went for it. Which, like, I think... I think with some relationships, you can get to a stage where you are aware that there is a look. But I feel like in the beginning stages, you're not receiving a look so much as inferring a look. Yeah. And... And I think even in his explanation and Ellie's reaction to his explanation, there is such a big question mark over that Mm -hmm. of like... He doesn't know how to explain what the look is. It's just the look you get and then you just go for it. Otherwise, you're a wussy. Yeah. Right? And she's kind of like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you know? But then she kind of, that's what she kind of does at the end. Yeah, which I find yeah. really interesting. But also at the same time, there, again... I'm going to point out that she leaves. She goes to leave. She stops, makes the decision, turns around and then does it. Yeah. So is she actually inferring that there is the look? Because she refutes the look. Yeah. At that point where... So Paul is talking 
to Ellie after his football match. Yeah. And as they're talking, he thinks Ellie has given him the look. Which she definitely she has not. Definitely has not. She's struggling to hold all of the occults that she's <laughs> collecting from the vending machine mm-hmm. in her arms. That's all she's doing. Um, and Paul decides to kiss her. And she immediately retreats and freaks out and is like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Asta has witnessed the kiss. And Ellie gets upset that Asta has seen it and gets defensive. And this is the moment that Paul realises that Ellie is queer. Yeah. So, lack of consent aside... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This moment is heartbreaking. Like that, this is the moment where the, the small town mentality really shows through because his exact words when he realizes that Ellie is queer and has feelings for Aster uh, isn't like like b- feeling betrayed that she's in love with the person he's in love with or anything like that. It's it's a sin. You're going to hell, and that's his response, which is not that supportive, not great mm. for Ellie. No. But then, the very next thing we see Paul doing is Googling things like, how do you know that you're gay? And trying to... Make sense of it all. Yeah, to to like learn more about his friend who he loves dearly. It's so heartwarming. You, (laughs) You literally have your heart broken and then put back together in about five seconds. Yeah. Because it's the immediate response. It's mm-hmm. the shock and the panic. And in a community where I guess you, as a queer person, you wouldn't feel comfortable coming out or yeah. expressing that, let alone as an immigrant. Um, so Ellie has had to spend her life kind of being in the shadows, being on the sidelines, being used by the community. Yeah. And he sees that. And so when he kind of is talking about it I think to her dad Mm. and is sort of like oh you know having to not be yourself for Mm. so long and that he has seen this person and their worth and then realised that they've had to hide that Mm. and so he's sort of like no this is still a friend of mine and I will still accept them for who they are because that is who they are. Mm. And it's really cute because, <laughs> you know, there's this moment because his mum has found the search engine on the computer and they're at church and everything's con- everyone's confessing everything and yeah. it goes a bit crazy at church. And Paul's mum just turns to him and says, Paulie, mummy still loves you if you're gay. And he's like, mum, I'm not gay. And she's like, oh, thank God. And he's like, oh, but I want to change the family recipe for the sausages. And she loses it. (laughs) Goes ballistic. Goes ballistic. Like, you know, it's that thing of their family recipe for their sausages is so much more important (laughs) than whether or not you're sinning. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is beautiful in itself oh, it's, yeah but it also the thing that i really like about this is it kind of highlights the notion that everybody regardless of their intentions can sometimes make mistakes 
and can sometimes do things that are are, are problematic. Mm. But the fact that Paul recognizes that and tries to 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 solve the problem, to like to change that learned behavior that he had and, mm. and aspire to never do it again and only be supportive from that time forward is I, I again i think a really important lesson like we, we can't be perfect 100 percent of the time but it's what we do in response to those moments of imperfection that really define who we are yeah i think the other great thing about paul and ellie's relationship and how strong their friendship is is that it comes out of the fact that in no way, shape, or form has Ellie ever been an expert on yeah. anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, she is trying to navigate this whole romantic relationships thing just as much as Paul is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all new to her. And that's why she hesitates to do it in the first place, because she's never felt that way. Or ever experienced anything. Or knows how to express that that's how she's feeling. Like, she starts off by quoting a bunch of old romantic movies and is immediately called out of it, called out on it by Aster, who's just like, yeah, I've seen this movie as well. <laughs> I wouldn't have plagiarized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's that really cute moment where um, Paul reads the letter and he goes, I looked up plagiarized. I know what that means. <laughs> I didn't pay you to cheat. <laughs> it's it's really nice to watch them learn from each other and grow together and support each other in this really like unconventional way. Mm. If you look at other media and other movies and the way that these kind of like friendships or relationships are displayed. And I think the fact that it is quite subdued and not, what you always see is what makes this movie really special. Mm. And it, it makes it that like you get such a positive outlook from it mm. and you kind of go out feeling for all three of them Yeah, coming out of it and feeling genuinely satisfied and happy that they've chosen their own paths and that they're finding their way and that they've sort of come out of this tight knit, tangle of a town yeah and even paul who's probably gonna stay in squahamish has still found his path Mm. and and is like doing things to actively change the the tradition and the Mm. the the complacency that kind of exists in that space it's a really good movie i hope you all watched it when we told you to yeah if you didn't Go watch it anyway. We, we won't know. One quote that I want to bring up uh, before leading into one of our, our ever-present questions on this podcast is there's a moment where um, Aster and Ellie go out and they spend the day together and they're in the hot springs. And it's kind of the first time that they have really interacted together mm. as themselves. And Aster says, I don't think I've ever hung out with a girl and not talked about boys before. And as soon as that quote happened... I saw you whip out your phone just, and write that down. Just like, this has to be brought up. <laughs> because it is it is nice that the movie is kind of like self-aware of the tropes that usually surround this kind of thing and to bring it up. And so from that, Nita, does 
this film passed the Bechdel test. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Bechdel test is uh, was invented by the uh, comic cartoonist uh, Alison Bechdel to just kind of like gauge whether or not a film involves two named female characters who have a conversation that isn't about men. She used it to kind of satirize the amount of stories that are told in Hollywood that are just male-focused. Even when it's women talking, it's always about the men and the relationships that they're in. So, does the half of it pass the Bechdel test? It does. Great. End of end of story. End of story. <laughs> end of story. I will note, I found it really interesting straight after that quote. Mm-hmm. She was like, I don't think I've ever spoken to another girl about, not about boys, whatever she says. Yeah. You know. And then they proceed to talk about Paul. Yeah. And, and Trig. And, and Trig. Her and, potential upcoming engagement and... And... How terrified she was. And how terrified she was. And yeah, I should just marry him though, shouldn't I? I found that really interesting. It did follow like a good while of them talking about anything other than men. That is true. And it makes it like, it makes sense if that is the thing that she is worried about and like conforming to Mm. the societal expectations that are kind of weighing on her. It makes sense that she would bring it up. But the, the film passes it anyway. They have heaps of conversations. It's great. Tick. Tick. Done. Um, Nita, are we going to rate or ruin the half of it? What do we think? I rate it. Yeah? As my film of choice that I brought <laughs> to the table. This is true. <laughs> I rate this film. I do too. I, I think it's it's a really... I mean, we have some like wonderfully fleshed out characters, some really strong defiant women um it does a lot to me it does a lot of like normalizing um like other cultures that you don't normally see on there like you and many of your friends have kind of said that this is a really relatable film if you grew up in a in an asian yeah totally i think it especially speaks to the sort of like western asian experience i think that's a thing we forget a lot of the time when it comes to representation that as someone who is of Asian background in a Western world, mm. my experience is completely different to someone who's Asian born and lives in Asia. Yeah. And so I think the way that the film sort of just puts it on the screen, but doesn't sort of wave a flag around being like, Oh, I'm an immigrant, you know, yeah. it's the little subtleties that are in there. Like the constant making of dumplings and the little details you see in their house mm. and the way that they interact and stuff that is very relatable. Um, and you kind of see yourself and your friends in that, mm. which is really nice. It's that's like, it's beautiful and it's important. <laughs> there need to be more, Films like this, and there needs to be more people going out and seeing them, or staying home and watching them on Netflix, in this case. Yes. Are we allowed to go to the cinemas anymore? Is that a thing? Uh, I think you can in Adelaide. Great. Which Amazing. is very exciting. I love that. Uh, I'm not sure about anywhere else. Please stay safe, regardless of where you're, yes, you are. Yes, please. <laughs> including in Adelaide, because yes. we want to continue to be able to <laughs> keep going to the cinema and be- to the theatre. Yes, and everything like that. Um, no, I, I rate it. It's a great film. Go watch it if you haven't watched it. If you have watched it, watch it again. It's really sweet. And I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you want 
to share your opinions on this awesome film with us, uh, please get in touch with us. Check us out on Instagram. We are at Feminism Ruins Everything Pod. Or find us on Facebook. We are Feminism Ruins Everything Dash It's a Feminist Podcast. Or if you've enjoyed what you've listened to and want to support us financially, check us out on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Feminism Ruins Everything Pod. Um, we, we also have some live shows coming up in the upcoming Adelaide Fringe, so please check out our socials for details on that. There'll be more info coming out soon. We've got some special guests. It's going to be great. Nita, thank you so much for coming on here and chatting about this movie and introducing this movie to me. I really, really enjoyed watching right. it and I really thank enjoyed chatting about it. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. And now, uh... Nita is going to sign us out with the catchphrase that we use at the end of every podcast. Here it is. Uh, is this a test? Feminism <laughs> 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 ruins everything. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.